Welcome to the NC Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the founder of NC Real Estate, which includes its members club for landlords and property investors to come and build a profitable property portfolio that completely aligns with their goals. If you want to find out more, head on over to www.ncrealestate.co.uk. Hello, how are you doing this week? I hope you are really, 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 really well. I am just coming back off of the launch of the Members Club, which went so incredibly well. Thank you, everybody, for being a part of it. And we are just loving getting to know all of our new members. So I'm very, very excited about that. This week, I wanted to do a slightly different podcast um, because I put out a post in the Property Investment Mastery Facebook group a couple of weeks ago, and I said, what gets you most stuck in property that you would like a quick fix guide for? And this got conversation flowing. The very first thing was a lot of people in the group said to me, Natasha, you can't just put together a quick fix guide and expect that everything is going to be okay. And I'm like, I I get it. I really, really get it. I am not a believer that you just click your fingers and everything magically falls into place. I understand that there is so much going on that can make things really, really difficult to invest in property. So I'm not here to say, look, you do this and that's it, all problems solved. What I'm here to do is help point you in the right direction so that you've got some clarity around how you can start sorting out the problems that you're experiencing, how you can start moving forward, what your next action steps would be. Because quite frankly, we all have it sometimes where, you know, it's tough. Like things can get tough. Property investment isn't easy. Otherwise, everybody would be doing it. So here we are over here, like just keep being consistent, keep showing up for our property investment and asking questions. So I want to go through some of the comments and I want to help you with the things that you've asked for help with. And let's see if maybe if you're listening and you didn't post a comment, but you are actually like, oh yeah, I am struggling with this too, then hopefully this podcast helps you out. So one of the very first comments that I got was that um, it seems that for every obstacle the bank, taxman, law, tenants put in place to hinder you, there's a new 10 obstacles to overcome in the solutions, which makes property investments seemingly very difficult. I get it. You know, there's tax changes, there's legal changes, tenants can be a pain. What I really, really urge you to do is not look at this on a on a whole. Do not think, oh, I feel like I'm being attacked left, right and center. Because if you sit here and think right now, so if I sit here and say, thinking about my property portfolio right now, is there anything really, really urgent that I need to figure out and sort out right now that people are putting on me? The answer is actually... No, my accounts are with my accountants, so they are dealing with it. My tenants, touch wood, are paying rent. Uh, Any team members that I've got who are looking after my property portfolio are at the moment doing what they say they're going to do. And so things are actually all quiet. I get it. In the future, things could be changing. You know, we've got Brexit coming up. We've got a change in government. There's all this talk about changes in stamp duty and how they are hoping to change 
new build housing and all of this different stuff. Capital gains taxes changing uh, next year. So we need to be aware of that. But right now in this moment, I don't have any battles to fight. And that's a good thing because now I can start talking to trusted members of my team if I feel like there's any issues to move forward. So what I don't want you to do is be getting overwhelmed by everything that you hear that could go wrong within the property investment industry. I want you to focus on what could happen in your property uh, prop property journey, what you need to be aware of, and then ask appropriate questions. So really take a step back, take a deep breath, and just look at it for what it is at the time that you're investing. And today, right now, if, you, if you've inspected your properties recently, then you don't have to do that. If all's good, fantastic. If you know that in a couple of years time, you're going to have to do carpets, redecoration, roof, whatever you need to do, okay, start saving for it or put in place a plan so that you'd be able to afford it. If you know your tenancy agreement is coming to an end, well, start looking at renewing it. If you know that your managing agents need to do something, ask them to do something. It's as simple as taking really small action steps and then you can start helping yourself and sorting yourself out. So another comment was mortgages and the weird and wonderful things that they ask for. Okay, yeah, I get it. Um, mortgages have become far more complicated in the UK and just about every client that I've got who is dealing with a mortgage lender right now are being asked for crazy things. Even I actually have just been dealing with a remortgage of from uh, Barclays and they've been asking for so many years of bank account statements and my tax returns and employment status and what I'm forecasting for my business in the coming year. I get it. We have so many things and so many hoops that we need to jump through in order to get mortgages. So here's what I can advise you to do. Number one, always have your past three years of accounts ready. Make sure that you have got your P60s from your employment, which comes through at the uh, in April every year. They're going to want to see that. Usually they want to see uh, your last three months worth of bank statements so that they can look at your expenditure. I would advise pay off any credit card debt or any personal loans that you've got because they do not like seeing that at all. Get a building survey and if you're uh, buying a new property or just buying any property on the market, get a building survey because they're going to want to see that. Um, or a home buyer's report. But I've a lot of the time now, mortgage lenders are really scared of things like cladding or maybe the fact that you could even slightly be in a flood risk zone. So if you've done your searches, they will want to see that as well. It's a good idea to get your solicitor on the case and make sure that they've got that pack just to send over to them because that's what they're going to want to see. Um, you need to show that there isn't any evidence of rising damp in the property. That can be a problem. Have a look at the externals and make sure that they all look uh, good to everything's good to go. So there's no pointing missing. There's no tiles missing. The guttering looks all right. The paintwork on the windows looks all right. If you've got wooden windows or they just looking good, good knit, you've tidied up the garden. If that's what you're going to do, basically make your house, make your house look presentable. Um, and then from there, once you've got all of your finances sorted out, you've got your proof of income, um, some mortgage lenders are looking to the market to find out how much rental income you're getting. If you are remortgaging, 
and you've already got tenants in there, it's really wise to make sure that you've got all the tenants pack ready to give them because they're going to want to see that and the rental income that um, you are getting because of that. So make sure you've you've got all of that together. And if you do, that's a really good, solid start to present to the mortgage company. Now, they may want other things. And I'm going to be honest with you, if they're asking you for something that is just not reasonable or you can't provide because, again, there's a real reason, reason for you not to be able to do that, bat it back to them. You can say, why on earth would you want me to do this? Are you just going to decline me if I don't have this? Um, this isn't reasonable for this building. Um, one of the big things that I, I've already mentioned, cladding, after Grenfell, uh, lenders are really worried about lending on anything with cladding on the outside, but loads of buildings are built with cladding that are completely fire safe. So it might be that you need your fire risk assessment and your building control sign off as well. You can get that from building control. So it might be a phone call to the local council, but they can provide that for you. So just be aware that you're going to be asked for more things. But if you can phone around maybe the developer that built the building, if it's if it's a very recently built building or if there's anything from the planning department that you need or maybe you'll need a fire risk assessment, which, OK, great. You might have to pay a couple of hundred pounds to get a fire risk assessment done, but surely that's better having a good mortgage than having to fall into rates that you can't afford. So I'm not saying if they say jump, you say how high. I'm saying if they if it's reasonable that they're asking for a document, you get it. And if you know someone who would already have that document, you ask them for it. And and you can also say to them, how about I take out an indemnity insurance for this? But on the whole, they want to make sure that these properties are safe and that the tenants are going to be looked after. And I'm sure you want that too for your tenants. So if you can prove that that's going to be um, what happens, then just show them that proof and they should be satisfied. But I completely agree that it's taking longer than it ever has done to get mortgages. The next the next thing, a quick fix guide, uh, was someone wanted one for getting good trade, good getting good tradesmen, estate agents, lying and incompetence. They really can't help themselves yet. It wastes so much time. Um, getting good tradesmen. Firstly, you have to build relationships with your tradesmen, and you have to get to know if they are going to do something for you or not. I have tradesmen who I can WhatsApp and know that they're going to go and do what they say they're going to. I have tradesmen who definitely aren't. But the only way that you learn whether that happens or not is if you ask them to go and do something and they do it or not. Unfortunately, it's trial and error. Yes, you can get recommendations. I always get recommendations uh, for um, plumbers, electricians, general maintenance who are good and who would go out and do things. And yes, to a certain extent, I do always get good results. But when I don't, that's it. Game over. I'm not going to use them again. I've recently um, found a great decorator in Bath for some of the properties in Bath. And he is fabulous. He turns up when he says he's going to. He rings me from in the property to let me know he's there if no one can meet him. And then when he's left the keys as well, and he takes photos and he documents everything. Fantastic. I've then also had a plumber who would never do that. I didn't know if he'd been or not or what had happened. And that, that was it. Job over. I'm not using that contractor. So yes, it is trial and error. But when you do have a good contractor, also realize that they're probably going to charge a fair wage. 
You can't keep haggling with contractors, not paying them. And contractors really are going to charge anywhere between 150 to 250 pounds a day. Yes, seriously, if you're going to have them for a whole day, that's probably going to be how much they charge. So don't undercut them because if they can't feed their families, why would they come out and help you? So make sure that, yes, you're, you're hiring reliable tradesmen. And also something that I've learned is that if I pay my tradesmen fairly for the first couple of times, usually they do little freebies. Now, I don't ask for the freebies. It's not like I'm like, hey, you did these jobs and now I expect this for free. But actually, the more I work with them, the better deals I get on future jobs. So they need to prove to you that they're good by um, by turning up on time, doing what they say they're going to do, and then leaving the property in a clean and tidy condition. That is their end of the bargain. You need to do what you say you're going to do by paying them on time. If they send you an invoice, pay within 24 hours. Don't start haggling over it if you've already asked for a quote. You know, you do your end of the bargain, they do their end of the bargain, you should have a good relationship. If that doesn't happen, then you move on to the next contractor. And from there on out, that's how you start building good relationships with contractors. And I appreciate it. Some are bad, some are good. You've just got to find the good ones. Estate agents lying. If you really feel like your estate agents lied, ask for their formal complaints handling procedure. Go through the complaints handling procedure go to the property ombudsman. You have the power to do that. Um, and if you don't want to go to the property ombudsman straight away, you can go to Systems Advice and Systems Advice will guide you through what to do next. Um, the Estate Agents Act 1979 is in place to protect you. So <laughs> use it. Um, but again, go through their complaints handling procedure. If you, if you really feel you have a case, and I granted it takes time, but they don't want to have a bad reputation. Because if the property ombudsman comes to them and says, actually, you need to pay this person compensation, well, that goes on their record. So they really should be bending over to help you as much as they possibly can. But can I also say something about estate agents? That in the UK, if you are selling a property, so if I'm selling a property, I am paying the estate agent. So they will be acting for me and in my best interest that does not mean that they're acting for the buyer. So if you're a buyer and you're putting in an offer and you're trying to negotiate, you're not paying the agent to act for you. The seller is, so they're going to act for the seller. So just be very aware of what side of things you're on. And I mean, if they're really, really, really being slow and they're not helping out, yes, make a complaint. But maybe it's worth giving them a call or popping into the office and saying, hey, look, what's actually going on? And it might be that they're, they're actually like, well, we've had a better offer and we're going there or we're doing this. And that is frustrating as hell. I get it. It wastes your money. Um, but just sitting down and having that good conversation with them is the only way you're going to be able to um, figure out what they're doing. If they're selling it for you and you're actually paying them to do something and they're not doing it right and they're lying to you about it, then do what you can to get your money back and make a formal complaint, go through property ombudsman. You can do that as a buyer. Um, and again, you've got the Estate Agents Act 1979 and Systems Advice will help you with that. And you can go on their website and they will help you with it. Or you can pop into a branch and they'll help you with it. So you've got avenues. I get it. You just want people to be honest, open, transparent. Ah, I would love to say that everybody is, but they are not. 
the honest realities of being in the property industry. I would, I honestly, it would be so nice for me to say that everybody was just amazing, easy to deal with, fantastic. But as you keep going, you'll start surrounding yourself with, with those kind of people. And honestly, your, your world in property will change. But sometimes you have to deal with assholes. Ah, and we all hate it. We all hate it. And we roll our eyes at it. And if you want the property and it's worth it to you, you'll continue. If you don't want the property, do you know what? Pull out and say. And when they ask, why have you pulled out? Well, because your agent is being an asshole. There you go. Use that. So as I've said, I've given you ways around it, things that you can do. It, honestly, if it doesn't if it doesn't go your way, that's the final thing that you can do. But if you're paying someone, they should be working for you. Um, I've also been asked to be able to sell a property within six months. Why is that rule in place? Why can you not get another mortgage within the first six months as a buyer? Okay, so the rule is, and I, I think this is about a flip. The rule is that when you buy a property and you get a mortgage the mor- or you don't get a mortgage, mortgage lenders won't lend to you um, within six months of you owning the property. That is a hard and fast rule now that I think pretty much every single lender sticks to. Yeah, I've no- very rarely come across them now. Um, And this is usually for people who are buying, doing a development. So you buy it on short-term finance or maybe you buy it in your own cash. You do it up and you want to remortgage out of it and you want to remortgage out of it within within a tighter timescale. Because I get it. Like you you want to get out of that as quickly as possible. You've got your money and you want the money back out because it's costing you money to borrow. I completely get it. So here's what you can do. If you're planning on just doing a flip and you want the short-term finance, you can always agree with the short-term lender that you're going to take the money um, for a maximum of six months, but then they agree that if you if you repay them in three months, you don't have to pay the final three months interest. So you could do that. Um, usually you wouldn't take out long-term lending for this anyway because there'd be fees to pay and long-term lenders offer you the lower discounted rates. So the you know, the couple of percent because they're expecting you to be with them long term. They don't offer that on short term mortgages. They really don't like it if they don't give you a fixed term and then, you know, you sell within that six month period, which is fair enough because it's not really worth their time. Actually, when you think about the due diligence that they go through now, we think back to the one of the first questions that I was asked about, um, you know, why do mortgage lenders ask off? get me to go through so many hoops well again they're risk proofing they're securing things for themselves and if they um were only getting a couple of percent for a few months it wouldn't be worth it to them so that's usually why they do it it's all about them they're not they don't want you to remortgage or sell before six months um and the other thing is is that they do most lenders don't believe that the price of a property could go up that much in less than six months which is why they they say you can't remortgage onto a higher uh, price within the first six months unless you can really demonstrate. So what I would do is if you want to do something like that and you want to remortgage within the six months, use something like Precise's bridge, um, bridge to Let product where they lend to you for the sh- using short-term lending for the period of time that you're doing 
the development. And then as soon as you've done development, you remortgage out onto long-term finance. The benefit of that is that it's all with the same mortgage provider and they are watching and they've done their due diligence. So you know you've got that end product. Um, but just a word of caution is that six months is a good time to be planning for this because if you're doing a development, well, you need to be doing it well and it is realistically going to be taking you three months. Well, that's 12 weeks. 12 weeks isn't a long period of time if you're really going in there, gutting it, turning it around. And I get it. Some of you who are contractors, you say, I just work relentlessly 24-7, get it done in four weeks. I get it. So why not do it and let it out for the remaining months? Let that pay off the interest that you're paying. Really, you break even. And then after the remortgage, you take the money out and you go on from there. Um, but realistically, if there's delays or there's a problem or something goes wrong, it's going to take you 12 weeks, then the remortgage takes you 12 weeks anyway. So banks are also leaving time, uh, leaving time for that whole process to happen. So inevitably, in your calculations for redevelopments, budget for the six month short term interest and that you'll be remortgaged by the end of it. You can start the remortgage process at month three for the remortgage to kick in at month six. So do bear that in mind. That is something that you really should be think thinking about doing. If you're doing a development, start the remortgage process early so that on six months and one day, you've got the remortgage in place ready to go so that you've got that long term finance. So I hope that's helpful. Um, it's not not really a quick fix. It's just a different way of thinking about it, which may be um, helpful. Um, I've had a question as well. I'm a beginner in this and been to Property Invent to get information and ideas, um, but it's where, how to afford to get property to rent out um, when you don't have a very high income for a mortgage at the moment. Okay, so I think what the question is, is how are you, how do you do it if you don't have a high income or any savings, where are you investing? If I'm honest with you, you're going to need to do something to get an education. So if you don't, if you don't have the money to invest in a property, you need to get very educated and add value to a property deal in order to get paid for it. That's what you have to do. Um, so either you bring an investment that you think, wow, this is amazing to an investor and they say, oh, well, thank you. I'll pay you something for bringing me the deal. Or maybe you want that payment to be a percentage of the deal. However you want to work it, that's where I'd start if you really don't have any savings. Um, in last week's podcast, I told you about me taking a business plan to my parents and them lending me the money and then me repaying it to them. You could do something like that. But I was I was an expert in property investment in London by this time for them to be able to believe that I was going to do what I said I was going to do. So you either need to get really educated on your specialist area in property investment, and that can be your local area, going out and finding deals, get out there, view properties, analyze the deals, um, get the education in how to um, know what value you can add to a property how you can increase the value and how much it's going to cost to do the development. I would actually advise if you want to know how much development is going to cost, get out on site with a contractor who goes around and prices this stuff up. Um, within my job, I, as a surveyor, when I was working in practice, I was lucky enough to 
get on really well with one of the contractors and he would take me out pricing with him. And sometimes he would make me price jobs and I would start to see things. And I'm not a building or quantity surveyor, I'm a um, general practice surveyor. So I didn't really have the skills to price jobs, but he would take me out and he'd say, well, how much do you think that was? Or, or this is how much it's gonna, it would cost me um, to paint this much of a wall or that. Or, and then I would also do the same with when we had quantity surveyors on site. I would ask them all the questions and start learning so that I could price up my own projects. You're going to need to do something like that. You can't just come in blind with no, no skills or no money. You have to bring something to the table, whether that is your education, whether that is your money, and then start networking really, really, really hard with um, people that you can work with, people that you can shadow, people that you can intern with, um, offer them something and they'll offer you something in return, but you have to build on it in that way. So um, I, I can't really offer you a quick fix solution for that apart from start getting to know people, start working with people in the fields that you want to work in and that's where it grows. Um, another quick fix uh, guide was how to deal with a tenant when they stop paying rent. You know that section eight and for now section 21 are enforced, but sometimes they don't even respond to the letters and can take up to months to sort out. In that situation, the quick fix is to go to the property and see the tenant. That's the, that's the quick fix. Um, give them notice that you're coming, go and drop the letter through the door that you'll be there within 24 hours. If whatever it says in the tenancy agreement, if it's 24 hours notice, then you go and hand deliver that 24 hours notice. You can hand deliver it, send it via email, put it in recorded delivery, cover all three bases so you know it's gone. Then if they don't respond, you go to the property. Even if they do respond, you go to the property because you're doing what it says in the tenancy agreement and you have that conversation with them and you see if they are there. Now, I always have a policy with tenants who have stopped paying and to phone them up and ask them what's really happening. Um, not that I'm angry, not that I've got any feeling towards it. I just say to them, I would rather know and I can help you rather than you now run away or walk away from the situation, which is going to make it worse. That's often um, been very beneficial. And then I can start doing whatever I can to put in place a payment plan or, you know, however I can help them based upon their situation. If they do not talk or they don't say anything or you go to the property and they're not there, um, if they're not there when you go to the property and there's no sign of anybody being there, I would... Um, just kind of think about whether they're still there or not. That's also something that um, <clears throat> I got uh, taught very, very young when I was going on property inspections. Um, if you go to the property, they've not responded, there's nobody there, you've not heard from people for weeks, have a look around and see if there's anything with a date on it, like a newspaper that's been left on the countertop because a newspaper date is often an indication of the last time somebody was there. It might not always be um, 100% the truth because not everybody reads newspapers any day, every day anymore. But say that's an old newspaper, then you might think, oh, no one's been here for a while. In which case you then put that into your solicitor's hands and they need to deal with that. So I would really go and inspect and have that conversation um, take your business hat rather than your personal hat. I get it. It's so freaking annoying when a tenant doesn't pay rent. 
but everybody gets the benefit of the doubt. You go in there, you ask them a question, what's up? What's going on? Be honest with me. Can I help you? How can I help you? And that how can I help you might prompt a response. And look, you might not get the response that you want. They might say, I can't afford to pay rent anymore. Um, Okay, if you can't afford to pay rent, you can't live here anymore, but how much time do you need to get out? Or, um, you know, whatever, whatever you come to the solution, you can even say, look, okay, well, thank you for giving me your honesty. I'm going to think about this and come back to you, but please note you must now start responding because otherwise I'm going to have to put this into my solicitor's hands if you don't respond anymore and just start getting that conversation going. I know you have to go through the notice procedure, but you do also need to go and see the tenant and find out if that what happens and negotiation and conversation is far better than start going down the legal route. But I would also serve the notices as well. Serve the notices as early as possible. You can serve a section 21 and a section eight notice if you want. Always get legal advice with that because um, if your legal team get it right first time, it means that you don't have to go through that two month process again. Um, and then go from there, but have that conversation. Seriously, have that conversation. That for me has always been the quickest way to sort out a no paying tenant. So good luck with that. I get how hard it is. Um, but again, as I say, take your business hat, not your personal hat and just have a sit down conversation. Ask how would they, how, how would they like you to help them? That's the question that you need. Um, another question, my gripe is as soon as you mention commercial, everybody puts their prices up, including interest rates, which are double. Yes. Commercial interest rates are double. They're very expensive. Um, with that, you need to try and get your, um, your loan to value down because that's going to really help with your interest rates. Um, commercial, the reason commercial is generally more expensive in prices for like legal fees and things is because it's business to business. So um, you're getting charged um, on a, a kind of a business point of view really is how I've normally thought about it. Also with um, commercial, you usually have VAT on top as well, which makes it that little bit extra. So if you've then got a VAT rated building, you can deduct the VAT. But um, again, you need to speak to your um, your accountant about that. Um, but yes, unfortunately, things with commercial are slightly more expensive. Um, but also with commercial, usually you pay it once. And especially with commercial tenants, rent reviews come around every five years. So you don't need a surveyor for every single year. It's just once every five. Um, similarly, with lease ends or when you're doing lease renewals, and you need your, your solicitor involved once every five to 10 years, if that. So again, the fees are higher because you don't need them as much throughout the process. I would love to be able to give you again a uh, solution to why thing to getting a lower price. You can negotiate. Of course, you can always negotiate on price if you think it's too high and it's not financially viable or look for somebody else who can help you out there. Um, I've got um, final one, estate unqualified agents. Uh, again, go back to the Estate Agents Act, make formal complaints. So ask, um, ask the estate agent for, um, for their complaints handling, uh, handling procedure. Look, if they're not qualified or they're not regulated or they don't follow laws or they just doing whatever they want, 
Um, you can report them for money laundering. <laughs> That's one of the things. I would go to citizens advice always or just don't deal with them. That's a quick fix, guy. Don't deal with them. If you think they're unqualified and they're not doing the job that they should be, I just wouldn't give them my money. It's as simple as that. Don't hire them. Do not hire them. Um, and then you won't have to deal with their terrible, terrible, terrible attitudes. And I get it. There are some really unqualified agents out there. We'll have a look and see if they're regulated. If they're not regulated by the RICS or ARLA, maybe don't use them. Always use reputable agents. Don't start cutting costs for agents who aren't ever going to know what they're doing properly or aren't going to act for you in the right way because it's a waste of your time. It's probably a waste of the other party's time. And worst of all, they're taking money without doing anything. Um, but if you feel like you want to do something about it, go to Citizens Advice. They can advise you how to report them. Um, and the property ombudsman or the Ministry of Housing or someone will get involved and um, make hold them accountable for what they're doing. Um, you can also get legal advice if they've messed around with your money and they've taken money and not given you a service, then you can get legal advice from your solicitor. It's costly, but your solicitor will be able to say, yes, do you know what? Let's do this. Let's press them for the money back. And maybe that's worth it for you. But long and short of it is if they're not qualified, don't use them. So that gets us through all of the comments that I've been asked. And I hope that's been useful. Um, a lot of it is that you you need to be streetwise in the property industry. And if something doesn't feel right, that usually means that it's not. So in that case, I would ask more questions. I would always pick up the phone or go and see someone and ask them the questions face to face or on the phone. It's very hard for someone to tell you a lie or fob you off at if especially if you're in the if you're in front of them standing in front of them uh, very hard <laughs> for someone not to give you um the correct information so if you're not getting a response in any way i would go and speak to somebody but yeah emails can allow people to hide behind words whereas on the phone or even better in person allows you to get the right side of the story so please any quick any quick fix guide is solved by having a conversation, really. Um, and whether that's even when we go back to the start and you'll say, and you know, it's difficult with the changes in tax, the changes in health and safety, tenants not playing ball, all of this, having a conversation with an expert does a lot to alleviate the stress and the apprehension you feel about what could go wrong because of it. So again, I hope this has been a useful podcast. Um, thank you for everybody who commented on that post. Um, I love the comments over in the Property Investment Mastery Facebook group. If you are not yet a uh, member of the Property Investment Mastery Facebook group, go over to Facebook and um, I'll put the link below as well. You can click the link and join. Thank you so much for listening today. I cannot wait to catch up with you.